1: Did you know that Temple Terrace is a place that God used to call Billy Graham into vocational evangelism? He nailed on the golf courses of Temple Terrace. And as he says in his book in the Moss Line Street, God used him
0: to touch a generation around the world for the gospel. I want to begin with a simple question this morning.
1: Has there ever been a time in your life where you were more passionate for God than you are today? Has there ever been a moment or a season where the fires of your spirituality? We're burning and flaming high, more so than they are in this moment. And if the answer to either of those questions is yes, what changed? Who moved? Because of being the son of a pastor, I've literally spent my entire life around church and church people. In all of my life, I have heard as individuals have pointed to their spiritual dryness and sought to blame preachers, hurt they experienced in church, circumstances of life, and yet rarely do I hear people take responsibility for their own spiritual condition. What about you? Do you long for spiritual renewal and awakening? Do you wish that the passion of God was burning within you more than it is today? Are you willing to be used by God to influence change for His glory in your little corner of the world? As we look at the book of Jonah, we've seen that this is a story about one man's journey. To the heart of God for revival among his people. It's not simply the story about a great fish, even though that's what preschoolers think about when they think about Jonah, Jonah and the whale. No, this isn't a story about a great fish or a great man. This is a story about a great God. And I want to remind you that every time we come to worship, that's what you should walk away with, not, oh, that was a great message, not, oh, that was great music, but we should walk away with a fresh awareness that we serve a great God who is worthy of our worship, a God who loves us so much, he's willing to do whatever it takes to give us the opportunity To experience reconciliation with him and the covering of his love. That's the heart of the gospel, is it not? The Bible teaches us, not my words, not the preacher, but the scripture teaches us that we are born separated from God, not because of his desire, but because of our sinfulness. I want to remind you, you're separated from God, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. You were born a sinner. That's not the way God created it. But in the beginning, we fail. Mankind fell into sin. And so, you and I are born with this natural inclination to sin. We do things that God says we should not do. We don't do those things that God says we should do. And that sin separates us from God. And from Genesis to the book of the Revelation, we see that God's response to sinfulness is always the same. It must be punishment. Punished. Our sin angers a holy God. And so throughout the Old Testament, God created pathways to deal with His wrath. The pathways in the Old Testament always involved His people sacrificing to Him. It was usually through the shedding of blood of an animal at an altar That shedding of blood would, in the eyes of God, atone for the sinfulness. It would make right the sinfulness of those men and women, those boys and girls, in that moment in time. But it didn't solve the problem for all of creation. But in the story, in the life, in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, we see that sin dealt with once and for all. Because the Bible says in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son Jesus that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have forever life. See, Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us. He shows us his love in that even though we are still sinners, Jesus Christ dies for us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he bore the punishment for our sin. He took the wrath of God that was aimed for you and me. That is the heart of God. Of the gospel. That's why every time we gather on Wednesday evening right here in this room for what we call house of prayer, one of the things we do is come to the table of our Lord. We celebrate the Lord's Supper because it's a reminder of the death of Jesus and all that that means to us. Well, Jonah is an Old Testament pointer to the gospel of Christ. Everything in God's word points to Jesus, and we find it no more clearly than in the message in the book of Jonah. So as we continue this story in Jonah today, I want you to understand the miracle of Jonah is not what happened after he was swallowed by a fish. The miracle you're going to see today is what happened after an entire city was swallowed up in revival. Have you heard about revival? Now, I grew up, as I told you, a preacher's kid. So when I was growing up, we would hold an event called revival about twice a year. And what that would mean is a special preacher would come in, sometime a special singer would come in, and and, and we would go to church on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. I vaguely remember a few times where we held revival for two weeks. Then we kind of went down to Monday through Wednesday. (laughs) And and then it kind of went away. And I think part of the reason it, it went away is because we recognize that just having an event was not a recipe for revival. But throughout history, there are glimpses of spiritual awakening and revival. In the early 1700s, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards began to preach. And historians tell us that he just read his sermon And it was not a feel good message. This was the title. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. But historians tell us that he read his sermon and the Holy Spirit of God so convicted people who listened about their sinfulness in the presence of a holy God and their need for repentance, that revival began to sweep through the land. You may have heard of another name that God used later in the 1700s. His name was John Wesley. I had a chance to, again, this summer, go and to pray in John Wesley's prayer room there in London, and just to think about how God used this man, who had once been a slave trader. He used him as an abolitionist to help stop the slave trade there in England, as he influenced a man by the name of William Wilberforce. But he, as he committed himself to prayer and some of those simple disciplines, or as he called them, methods of the faith, recipes for revival, if you will, God began to, to spring up revival there in the land. And he did it through people like George Whitfield. He did it throughout history in the 1800s as a man named Jeremiah Lemphier here in the United States began to understand the importance of prayer. And really, it began even as college students began to just pray and seek the heart of God and ask God to do something that only He could do, to move in a way that only He could move. And then some of you may remember, you may have even been a part of what took place in the very early 70s right here in our country. A move of God called the Jesus Movement it started taking place, believe it or not, in Southern California the land of the fruits, the nuts, and the flakes. And hippies begin to hear the message of Christ. And here's the truth. Some of the great preachers of the gospel in our country today came to Christ during that Jesus movement, and they're now in their mid-60s, and they've been testifying to the goodness of God for all these years. They're glimpses of revival in history. And you know what we saw when revival took place in each of these times? Society began to change. We began to see it just happened. Bars began to shut down. In the 17 and the 1800s, and even in the midst of the sexual revolution in the 1970s, we we see people turn to God and begin to put away with immorality in their life. We saw that God was doing things that only he could do. So I would ask you, do you yearn for that kind of revival in your life? And maybe I should ask us this, do you yearn for that kind of revival in our land? I need you to understand today. And please listen carefully. In fact, I'm going to ask you not to respond verbally or otherwise. Just listen. As citizens, it's important that we engage in what's taking place in our land. But I want to remind you that our hope is not found in who's in the White House or who's in the State House or who's at the County Courthouse or who's at City Hall. Our hope is found in the one who lies within you at your house And how he begins to embark change in your life. So celebrate when things seem to be going in a way that may put us on the path toward righteousness. But understand this. Man's way will never get us where we need to be. It's only through the touch of God and revival. And so I want us to pray. And you need to know that you've been prayed for before you walk into this room. You were prayed for by godly men within the last hour, you've been prayed for in this service and I want us to pray once more. And I wonder if you would be so bold to pray, God move me away from the distractions of the the day and speak in my life so that I might experience your true and perfect will from your word. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, do what only you can do for your glory. I need revival. We as a church need revival. We in this community need revival. Lord, it's clear to see in this nation we need revival. Across this globe, your people need to be awakened. So God, I pray that you would send a great revival and that you would let it begin in me. And I pray that in these moments, the words of my mouth and even the meditation of my heart would please you such that the result of our time together would be tangible. And here's how we want to see it, Lord. God, I pray that someone would begin a relationship with you today. God, I pray that Christians who have been backslidden or have walked away or have simply become dry will be awakened to your work. God, I pray that your church will be impassioned for our community. And I pray that you do all of this for your glory in the name of Jesus, amen. Take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter three. If you don't have a Bible today, we've provided some in the Purax there in front of you. Jonah's in the Old Testament headed toward the New Testament. It's one of the minor prophets, but it has a major message. And I want you to be looking at it for two reasons. I I want you to understand that what I'm saying is God's word, not my word. But secondly, I'm, I'm going to teach through the reading of the Scripture today. And so I want you to follow along. If you ever attend a church where you don't need a Bible, then I would recommend you attend another church. You need that here. You might take a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, and take the back of that bulletin and record some of this truth because I think it can be helpful. Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God is a God of comebacks and second chances. I needed a second chance. I blew it in high school. I blew it in college. I I blew it as a young married man. I've blown it as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a neighbor. Shoot, I've blown it this week. I think I've even blown it today. I'm so thankful that my God is bigger than my mess-ups. I needed God to come to me a second time. Maybe today you need God to come to you a second time. Verse 2 says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. Now notice, this is an important reminder. When God calls us to do something, We don't have to invent the script. I'm so tired as a leader of hearing people say, pastor, I'll step up when God just makes it clear. No, if God has called you to do something, even if it's not clear, now's the time to step up. God said to Jonah, you go, I'm going to tell you what to do. I wonder what we miss out on because we're not obedient when God says go. He simply wants our yes. Is your yes on the table before God this morning? Verse 3, so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It's three days journey in breadth. That's telling us how big of a city this is. But we also know it was an evil city. We're told that the Ninevites who were Assyrians, the king was an Assyrian. And and there in that place that today was Mosul, Iraq, also still a dangerous place, the Assyrians would take their enemies out into the desert. They would bury them up to the neck and leave them there to die. If they didn't think they were suffering enough, they would take a stake and they would drive it through the tongue of the person buried in the desert so they would just be left there to suffer. That's where God told Jonah to go according to the word of the Lord. What would happen in your life if you began to do and live your life according to the word of the Lord? What if you pursued your education and your career according to the word of the Lord? What if you governed your habits and your desires according to the word of the Lord? What if you navigated your relationships and your marriage according to the word of the Lord? What if you managed your finances according to the word of the Lord? Are you living your life according to the word of the Lord? Because if you're not, then by default, you're living your life according to your words and your will. And that is not a successful way to go. In verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, here's his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Five Hebrew words were told. Forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not exactly a message of hope. It's a message of doom. It's a message of God's wrath. As I mentioned ago, I want you to understand that God is still a God of wrath. You need to hear this. I've tried to make sure you hear, have heard today that God loves you. He can never love you more than he already loves you. He will never love you less than he already loves you. But his love does not negate his wrath over sin. Sin angers him. Why? Because he's a holy God. That's why we sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. There's no one like him. We're not like him. No matter how powerful we become, no matter how smart we are, no matter how successful in the world's eye, we become, we are not God. And we fall short of his design. And every time we fall short, it angers him. So that message that Jonah began to preach is a message that probably needs to be heard more today. We have to figure out ways to communicate it. I'm not sure that we do want to stand and say, if you don't turn, you're going to burn. If you deny, you're going to fry. Our desire is not to scare the hell out of people, but to help people understand that our loving and merciful, gracious God desiring to pour out his love will have to respond in wrath if our sin goes undealt with. Verse five, it says the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on a sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. And that's where we begin to see what we would call revival. Change begins to take place in the hearts and the minds of the people. And it catches like wildfire. And spreads throughout society. Oh, God, what is it going to take for us to pray for that, to cry out for that, to want that in our individual lives, in our society? As scary and frightening as it is for me as a vocational pastor to say this, please hear me. If we don't want that, why are we going through the motions? Why are we taking out this time on a day where most of us don't have to work or don't have to go to school? Why don't we stay home and just get an early start on football or or watch the news programs of today? If our purpose is not to cry out to a holy God and seek his face for revival, what are we doing? The People of Nineveh heard the message of truth and there was total societal change. We're not good at that. You know what we're good at? We're good at pointing out who else needs to change. And so the truth is, many of those that we label as the ones who need the gospel the most don't even darken the doors of our churches because they don't feel like they're going to be welcomed. They feel like they're going to be shunned. And they may even be told, get out of my seat by a churchy looking and acting person. Maybe it's time to stop pointing out how everybody else needs to change and ask God to change me. What would happen if we just said, God started in me? Notice what happens next, and you'll see. Verse 6 The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat. In ashes. After the people of the land experienced change, then the king arose and began to change. I think we've got it backwards. We have our hopes in some leader that we know is imperfect and sinful just like us to come along and take us into a promised land when God is not saying to us, hey, your hope is in a leader. He's saying your hope is in me. And when you as individuals, when we as individuals begin to understand that and turn to God, when the church begins to actually look like the church called the bride of Christ, then Scripture teaches that even leaders wake up and begin to notice the difference. See, the power of influence. The people were changed, and then the leader Could it be that we moan and groan for change at the White House, at the State House, at the Courthouse, at City Hall when the change is needed in our house? Could it be that God doesn't always give us the leaders that we want because we're not giving Him the lives that He desires?
0: What would happen